this is the Ethical Business Podcast. My name is Janet McLaughlin, Founder and Managing Director of Marmion, an ethical business based in Yorkshire. Today, I'd like to welcome back my co-presenter and fellow director, Matt Pallister. Hello, Matt. Hello. And our lovely guest, Antoinette Danielle, Founder and Managing Director of Just Helpers. Um, Hi there. It is the 12th of January. I know, hello. I know it's the 12th of January, but is it too late to wish you a happy new year? Are you, are we, we're just going to go with it, shall we? Happy new year. Um, What a start to the year though. I don't know what your year has been like so far, but it's been absolutely crazy. Um, And I suppose in what you do, it's, it, it must be, it must be consistently busy, but I suppose where, you know, where we start is I want to really talk about your business and I'd like to, I'd like to hear more about your business um, it's journey and how you develop this ethical business brand. But as I would ask any business owner, what on earth made you decide to set up a business in the first place? Uh, temporary <laughs> insanity? That, yeah, I think we all suffer from that. Yeah, yeah. In, in all honesty, I would say that I was an accidental businesswoman. I, mm. I'm a PE teacher and and when somebody says what do you do or who are you my default answer in my brain is oh I'm a PE teacher from Croydon but (laughs) 10 years in I've had to accept you know that is no longer the case and hasn't been for a while so I set up Just Helpers really as a side hustle initially I left teaching to pursue career to pursue a passion which was to stop modern slavery um, anti-trafficking as it was then the buzzword Uh, and that had been a long kind of journey into that so uh, a massive pre-midlife thing if you like I sold my house I got involved in that and did that for around 10 years until the house money started to run out Mm -hmm. and at that point, I realized I'd moved back to London. I'd got a part-time paid role uh, helping a charity to grow in South London. So I'd gone from a middle management teacher's salary in a private school, fairly comfy, to this part-time salary that really didn't even get me coffees um, through the day. I was bunking in someone's spare room for free for six months while I got my, my head sorted, but loving the role. And so I, just for, again, for a kind of a larger story, decided to clean. And I announced this at a, a, um, a mulled wine and cheese dinner party uh, for pre-Christmas to, to my room full of middle-class friends. I'm going to clean on the side. And there was that sort of DJ silence of what is she doing? So that's pretty much how it started. I, I chose cleaning because I like it. Actually, I'm one of those geeky people, loves a good clean on. And I thought it would be flexible around the charity job. Um, and I thought that I could contain it to 10 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So that's the, yes, that's our, <laughs> our story. But, but what happened, but what was it about the whole, you know, I mean, it's, it's the modern slavery aspect that, hmm. what was it that generated that desire to do something, to make a difference, to change, to change that? Oh, I mean, that story started a good five years before the cleaning point. Mm. But initially I, I was sat in church one Sunday it was anti-slavery Sunday which had kind of passed me by Mm. for quite a while and I don't know if I can even say this but it was a white middle class middle-aged man standing up at the front saying I'm going to talk about the transatlantic slavery and arrogantly in my mind I just almost sat back with my arms folded thinking what have you got to tell me 
about this yeah. and he was brilliant it turns out that that guy was Steve Chalk founder of Oasis and Stop the Traffic and and what he said blew my mind in that moment so he said that in the entirety of the transatlantic slavery trade which spanned 400 years it that the number of people shipped around the world did not equal the number of people in slavery on that one day Uh, and I actually thought this guy is exaggerating that that's my polite Mm. version of that and so I went away to research because I thought I've got to dispel this if if this is if this is an exaggerated fact I've actually got to you know go and have a chat with Steve (laughs) about this and the more I delved into the facts and the statistics the more heartbroken I think is the word I got Mm. so I try to ignore it I try to sort of say I'm teaching I'm doing well I'm changing my corner of the world with these young people um what about you Mr Policeman what about you Mr Social Worker you can do something while I do my teaching bit and I after about three or four years I just realized I'm the common denominator every time I hear the story and it kind of debilitates me I'm the common denominator. Mm-hmm. So I think I've got to ask myself, what can I do? What can a PE teacher do? So that's that was really the start of the journey. And again, you know, I thought I'd got my dream job. I thought I was there till I died and retired. But um, I just, it was keeping me up at night and I couldn't do nothing. And throwing money at it wasn't really cutting the mustard. I do think there are those of us who um, will do and there there are those of us that will you know, say, yeah, well, we're, we're not happy about it. And it'll sit back and not do anything. I mean, I remember my first experience of seeing something akin to modern slavery um, mm-hmm. within the, you know, in the 20th century was when I was um, a nurse in London. And I worked mm-hmm. for a, a family who had in their, you know, within their, within the household, a lady from the Philippines. And oh, she so was... Common. But also um, there was another one, there were a couple of houses that I went to and they had staff. And when I spoke to them, they weren't ever allowed to leave the house, you know. I mean, it was it was awful. I mean, I, I just stopped doing it. I stopped working for them then. I just thought, no, I'll just, I, I just work in hospitals rather than private homes. It was just unbearable to see. But I mean, I was young and, I, you know, ignorant. You didn't really know. I mean, now if I saw that, it would be certainly something that I would report um, because it's just... But it still goes on whether we like it or not and whether those of us feel comfortable talking about it or not. It goes on and we do need to, you know, we do need to have, whilst there are laws to protect us, there are people who can break those laws. I wouldn't advocate that everyone changes their lifestyle and sells their house. I think I agree. We've all got different parts in this battle. And for some of us, it's being aware. For some of us, it's recognising, you know, you could just have one interaction with someone on the high street and give them a card or give them a phone number. And that could be you saving a life. For some of us, it is giving money to charities that are doing work in a professional way. So uh, this is not about guilt guilt raising at all. This is just my story. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting just listening to you there. I think... um, that comment of being more aware, I don't mm. think it is talked about enough, even now, yeah. you know, um, having this conversation here today, I mean, you know, that story that Janet's just said, I've, I've not heard that story before. And, you know, mm. Janet and I have worked together for six years and there are probably a lot more of those stories out there. So it's, um, it's an interesting point. I think it's with any, any topic that we talk about here on the podcast or in general in business, it's always awareness. That's that key, key word, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. awareness about the the topic in ha- at hand, and it's great the work that you you obviously did as part of that, and um, hopefully more more people will follow suit as well. When did you set the business up, Antoinette? How long is how old is the business now? 
So it started in December 2012. So we just had our 10 year anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Yay. It's been a rocky old 10 years, hasn't it, though? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Just when I thought I'd nailed it round about year yeah. seven. It is year seven, isn't it? Yeah, it's COVID. Yeah. Literally, April 2020 was going to be the month where I abdicated from the business for want of a better word. So I'm thinking about a number two, I'd got a strong admin team. We've got a cleaning team of around 60. Everything was automated. I really didn't have to rock up to the space. And I was kind of having dreams of Caribbean holidays and um, <laughs> just the next so phase of my dream. Yeah, yeah, I still yes. do. But that that literally wiped the floor with us and so many other businesses in the, in the country. And again, we survived that raise the clarion cry how did you manage that though because because your Mm. people are going into premises and of course there was isolation how did you manage that how did you keep engaged with your workforce when you know great question you know specifically it's because they're remote and the fear of not being able to do their job because of restrictions and lockdown how did you do that Yes. Well, once we'd got over the shock of turning the television on, hearing Boris Johnson mm-hmm. say nobody can go to somebody's house tomorrow, <laughs> recognising yeah. that was our business shut down. Um, I think it was a testimony to the great relationships that my team had had forged and the way that we run our business. So relationship building is key in everything we do. A lot of companies talk about automation, automation and getting things all done through apps in a sort of faceless, nameless way. And we never have. And I've been quite passionate about that. So every client home up until that point, we visited Every helper that we recruited, we did face to face with a coffee and all our recruitment questions are more than just what can you do? It's why and who are you and what are your drought? I mean, our very first question was what was your dream at age 14 mm. to be? Mm. So we really invest time in getting to know our um, cleaning colleagues and getting to know our clients. And that stood us in good stead. Before then as well, we gather socially three times a year intentionally, one with a big full out party and awards ceremony, one a party in the park where people come and bring bring and share with their families and children and one at Christmas where we just do drop in drinks in a pub in in the West End. So relationships were really good face to face at that point. Um, Trust was really high amongst our team uh, and you know, our our whole premise is that people need to be paid fairly for a fair day's work. So our pay scale had always been one of the highest in the UK, I'm kind of proud to say, but certainly in London. So I think our team trusted us to go out to bat for them. Mm -hmm. I just punted out quite cheekily to our clients and ran a whole campaign of consider paying your helpers, even if they don't rock up to clean. Um, talked about the fact that they were getting time off at work still paid fully uh, and it would you know it made sense to me that they should levy that on to their helper and we were overwhelmed actually around 67% of our clients continued to fully pay for two and a half months some for nine months until they were confident to have somebody back in their home and so that blew us away Uh, we'd got some money in the tank so I I mean we we 
we tried to share that around a bit pro rata because there were some new colleagues that just signed up with us and had no clients who were directly paying them. So we had that open conversation with everybody as well that, um, you know, there are going to be some new colleagues. We want to be able to kind of gift some of that to them to help them. And that, that was in the very early days before we understood what the government was going to do in terms of COVID payments, C-bill payments and grants and all of those kind of things. Yep. So that's how we did it. We went to kick straight into an online agency. GM, which we'd, we'd never done before. The team were brilliant. And we just kept talking with them. We changed out. So we used to pay weekly. We changed it to every two weeks. But every two weeks, it meant that we were having conversations with everyone. We were asking people how they were getting on. And any bit of information that we got from the government at that point, we would push out to the team. Uh, I had my admin team. So they were furloughed. But before they went, they worked solidly around the clock. Mm just making sure that all their colleagues were set up. It actually makes me feel quite emotional thinking about Aww. it. <laughs> um, sorry, I, didn't, I hadn't expected that. Aww. But yeah, I had a phenomenal team at that point and they, they grafted. Um, and so we kind of kept afloat until um, things reopened. Two, two and a half months later, so we were lucky that cleaning was one of the things that was designated as an essential service and... Um, then it was about trying to gain customer confidence as, again about getting people back in their homes in their space while the predominant number of them were still working from home. I think that response your response to that question it shows you know that authenticity in terms of how you feel about the people that you work with mm. and how committed you are to them because um, I remember whenever in our journey through COVID, our just our our business just dropped off the face of the earth, and we also my family had COVID, which I've discussed oh, before. But um, and then Matt next sitting next to me, <laughs> he was he was the only one that wasn't affected. He lived you know, and he would drop things off, and everybody was just so supportive. And mm. I think it was a real. If there's one thing we got out of COVID, was a sense of pride in the people that we worked with a pride in in terms of how people responded to those who yeah. really needed help I mean I I too had a, um I've got a helper and um she was paid full-time during that whole time because mm-hmm. you know she got, she got kids too you just have to you ha- we all have to stick together I think that's one of the things about yes. the people forget the British mentality is you know that war thing I was reading some article about you know during the war when Elle went berserk everybody just stuck together and just cracked on and did did what they did and I just think it was I would like I would like to hope that that would continue we just need to really stick together but what you do it's just lovely to just see your response to it because you clearly are very passionate about your people and 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 keeping them safe um both financially psychologically etc etc yeah. And I think the relationships that your your team have built with with their clients as well, mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. the thing. What Janet was just saying there, you know, for, for us, it's very similar. Just listening to you talk there, Antoinette, about those relationships. We do the same with our clients. And I actually was quite overwhelmed during that COVID period oh. when quite a few of our clients heard about, you know, Janet and her family who were quite mm. affected by COVID. I was getting calls left, right and center from clients because they almost become your friends, don't they? you know, you get to know them at that level. And it's, it was, it was just so, it was so nice. And I know you, you had the same, didn't you? They were so lovely. I mean, but, but again, you know, what people forget is that there's the business leader, you, who's trying to keep it all together. I mean, how did you cope? What was your coping strategy? What did you protect yourself? I have to say, Aperol Spritz became my favourite drink that year. I must have put on about stone from it, but you know, thank God for Aperol. (laughs) 
I don't know if I've gotten over it, to be honest. Um, I think I think only now am I beginning to, well, no, we're still in a, a, a different crisis mode. Yes. So I yeah. know that I need to stand down at some point. You know, I feel yeah. like my cortisol levels are still high. I'm still hyper alert. Um, we've rolled from that into the cost of living, which then did challenge my team. So, yeah. you know, it was all fantastic then, but it was, it, it was just too much for everyone to navigate yet another mm-hmm. crisis. So we've actually had a massive um, fallout from what I would say would be post COVID pre cost of living. And we're still trying to recover from that. So I, I don't know <laughs> is the word. I, I actually uh, booked myself in to a two week holiday at a place called the body holiday in St. Lucia. And I, I felt mortified at how much it cost. I felt I, I've never paid that much for a holiday. I've never taken a two week holiday in the 10 years that I've had. This I can't business. remember two week holiday. <laughs> I know I did. I had it when before we launched the business okay so not quite since you've had the business either um and that was that was really interesting for me Uh, I realized that one I was on the verge of falling apart and two Mm. that I had to be a lot more intentional about how the rhythm of my year looks so it's still going to be a crazy one but one of my non-negotiables now is a two-week holiday and I say that and I'm breaking out in a hot sweat even thinking about when will that be and how will that happen and where will the money come for it but I know that if I don't do that um, the thing I've learned is that I'm the strategic visionary which feels really (laughs) really naff said out loud but it's true it was me that was innovating all the ideas at the time and my team would grab them and run and if I don't make space to create that to create those ideas then in this economy at this time in our our business journey Mm. this could be the time that we crumble when all of the crises have ostensibly finished Mm. but actually the undercurrents are still going along quite strongly. I think the impact of covid I think 20, for me, 2022 was a year, the, the, the oh. post-COVID year. And yeah. um, and then, of course, we had the Ukraine. I turned off all yes. social media, everything. I just, do, I just don't listen to it. I mean, I have no idea what's going on. Well, I do, actually. Mm-hmm. But I kind of don't keep an eye on what's going on because I just mm-hmm. think it would just, um, as a business owner and someone who's responsible for the well-being and mental health of my colleagues, yes, if I'm feeling bad, then they're going to feel feel it as well. Self-care yes. is really critical if you're going to run a business. And it I think is. taking that two weeks off, my intention is this year I will have a two-week holiday. I haven't had a two-week holiday since before we launched the business, but I'm ready for it because, you know, I think mm. it's... But also the difference is I have a really great team around me, you know, too, mm. and I encourage them to take their time. You know, I force it down their throats, go and have a holiday, take a break, <laughs> but we don't often look after ourselves and that's so important. No. Yeah, and I think just on that, I was actually talking to um, a client of ours today, and I feel that going into this year, everyone is in that mindset of looking after themselves Mm. more. I know I am, you know, for me, it's the year that I'm going to focus on me, be a little bit more selfish about the things that I want to do, say yes to the things that I want to do, but say no to the things that I don't want to do. And my client was saying the same, you know, she's very much going into this year her and her husband and they you know they they've said look we're, we're going to make sure that we look after ourselves this year because last year rebuilding after covid mm-hmm. was so tough for everyone although yes you know we we managed to do it and we've we've got through it now 
I don't think it's the end. There, there are still, like you said, there, there are other challenges ahead of us. So we've just got to keep our heads focused on what we can control here and look after ourselves along the way. I think it's it's important for everyone, especially business leaders. Before, before you set the business up, I suppose, I remember sitting in my shed thinking, what what would Marmion stand for? What would my business stand for? What would people what can they expect? And if some, if they were to use words about how they view the business and the people in it, did you stop to think about what the important characteristics were that people would experience or they, how they would experience what it is that you do? You know, was that something that you did? And when you do, I know that you'll have your own view on that, but when you are bringing in people into the business, how do you onboard them to make sure that your people or, or recruit them and identify to make sure that your people are on board with it? hindsight is a wonderful wonderful thing it does make sense so nothing conscious when I set this business up when I say I was an accidental businesswoman I was just rocking along day by day by the wing of the, the, the seat of my pants with no real plans but being me so actually in being me people are important that that's the core of who I am so that stood me in good stead I would say for about nine months so much but at some point I realized oh I'm running a charity here I I'm actually going to work for the people that I'm recruiting. I'm actually, I've got two other side jobs so that the people who are cleaning can get all of the money out of the business. So I recruited a business coach after about two and a half years. And that was really game changing for me. And he helped me to really understand who I am, what I stood for, what my non-negotiables were, and then how we intentionally um, implement that through the business. So in terms of onboarding, all staff actually, they go through a really similar process. We ask a lot of questions all the way through the process. So we hire slow and it can be very frustrating for people. But one of the things I, I want is that if you're really invested in us, um, because we're going to invest in you, you'll be patient through this process because you'll see that it's it's worth the while. We want to understand people's stories. We want to understand their why why is a big thing for me like why are you in business why are you on this planet why are you here applying for this job uh, because I think once we understand each other's whys then we get the best out of each other so even with the cleaning team we'll do that to a, a lesser degree but it still happens um, and that face-to-face interview that we have with them which is the fourth stage of interview is really all about that just getting to know them helping them get to know us so maybe if I start you with the cleaning process, uh, we'll have a quick phone chat with them. And that's just really to make sure that we're all speaking the same language. We then send them with a colleague, one of our like really excellent colleagues to do a two hour cleaning interview. And we just want to see what will they do with no direction? Who's our people? Uh, and, and again, we found early on that the current cleaning team are so proud of who we are and what we do that they're probably our most critical friends, if you like. So they're assessing for cleaning quality, yes, but we always say we can train cleaning. But mm. what they really feed back to us on is personality and character and care and consideration. So kind is one of our big values we want to see who will be kind to their clients who will be kind to their colleagues um you know and that comes across in a whole way, a whole manner of ways so we have the two-hour cleaning interview uh then we have a face-to-face interview where with a manager which is usually in a coffee shop uh, where we're just trying to get to understand each other as i said uh, and just 
and, and at every opportunity, giving our colleagues a chance to ask questions, a chance with one of our cleaning colleagues to ask those frank questions about who are these guys? Are they really who they say they're going to be? Are they actually going to pay me this thing? Are they actually going to treat us well? And we never ask what they talk about. The only question we ask is, you know, are they part of our tribe, basically? And all they have to answer is yes or no. We don't want to know the details. That's a private, candid conversation. Um, after the face-to-face we'll then do a training day with our different colleague in their area and that's quite intentional as well so that by the time they're onboarded they've got two people separate from management that they know within the company which means that coming to social events becomes easier if they've got niggles that they don't want to put into the big community group um, they've got someone that they can privately ask that understands the company and then all the social days so that again that's just about getting to know people getting to know their family letting them get to know us so Yes, that that's our onboarding process. I hope that makes sense. I think what you know, even though you're operating remotely, what you mm. created there with having access to different people and experience with different colleagues is that psychological safety. Mm. That you know, in an office space, if you work within an office space, you've always got someone to talk to. You've yes. always got someone who you've you know that if you've got a question uh, and you're maybe not certain about who may not be that confident, you know somebody will give you that answer, which is really important. And that's how you build that trust within your workforce, your colleagues. Mm. Um, The the other thing we used to do was spot checks um, or management checks. And initially, oh, they hated them. But again, (laughs) the sideways reason was one, to make sure is everything happening that should be happening, but two, to, to actually make sure is the client presenting their home in the way that they did when we went to do our visit and three again to relationship build so at the end of it we'd always take a little leave behind for the client but there would also be a little leave behind for the helper as well if it was the last check of the day and their last clean of the day we'd encourage a manager to take them for coffee and just do that hanging out thing how are you how's it going and again we built a culture where people started to look forward to spot checks because it wasn't like one of my big things is about catching people doing good stuff rather than catching people doing bad stuff and again mm. being quite intentional mm. about that. And do you are you only based in the south or do you have plans to grow? What's your plan? <laughs> Well, what domination. Okay, well, domination. <laughs> Come to Yorkshire. So lovely up here. Well, we, we're only in London at the moment. And again, that had been a pre-COVID thing. So we, we were on the cusp of recruiting someone to help us start franchising or replicating um, up and down the country. So, honestly, it, we've gone backwards by two years at the minute. Yeah. So those plans are still in the offing. I've since relocated to the south coast so I live in Worthing and I think our natural first location would be Brighton because it's a living wage city there are a lot of fair trade justice-hearted people there that would get what we're trying to do Uh, and that's probably how we would start so after that our next city would probably be Manchester Leeds with Leeds Leeds. But it's finding advocates that can help us grow in certain core areas so that, you know, if we've got a northern hub, then that then exponentially expands out to other northern towns. Um, and it starts with people understanding about living wage to, uh, okay. f- for, f- at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever think about moving up north, I've got a friend who's desperate for somebody in oh. the Woodness area. She's might she might listen, so she'll know exactly who she is. I'm determined <laughs> to get you someone, Helen. Don't you worry. Just just on that, because I, I saw yes. that you were an affiliate for the Living Wage Foundation. And for people yes. that don't really know much about that, could you just tell us a little bit more about how you got involved and where where that came about? 
again. So the key word of this podcast is accidentally. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So again, it just starts with who I was right at the beginning. I I think I was charging £10 an hour for me to go in and clean. And I had this dilemma with the first person I onboarded. Well, if I'm going to go for £10, why, why should she rock up for less? So I literally split all the money in half and paid them £10 an hour until my coach pointed out that I was actually paying her transport, paying her cleaning. I I was actually working for less. Um, But from the very beginning, I've just always thought, what would I be prepared to turn up to work for? So unwittingly, I was always paying above the living wage, well above the living wage. Um, In the office that I worked in, it was it was out of a church office, but um, a Salvation Army church had plugged into all of the justice networks in South London. And one of those, um, oh, it's just gone right out of my head now. (laughs) Uh, But let's just say a key organisation that that helped the Living Wage Foundation to be born, Citizens, Citizens UK. Uh, And so I just happened to overhear a whole meeting where they were plotting about how do we help the London Borough of Merton to become a living wage. My ears pricked up. And I registered and realised, oh, okay, this is a really great model to help someone like me that has no real understanding of economics to understand how do I make sure that I am remunerating my colleagues in a fair and equitable way that allows them to thrive in the city that they live Mm. and work in. Uh, So every year, the Living Wage Foundation will do an independent examination of the cost of living in London and the rest of the UK. They have a basket of food, kind of analogy that they base that cost on. It's really important for any listeners out there to understand that that's different to the government living wage Mm -hmm. standard and even the minimum wage standard. Really Mm -hmm. great that all of those have gone up massively this year, but they are still significantly under what the Living Wage Foundation say Mm. is is what every worker needs in the UK. Mm. So it's part of, if if you're thinking that you're shopping in a fair trade way, it's just another way of making Mm. sure that your purchases are honourable and equitable and allowing everybody in the supply chain to exist and thrive where they live and work do you know you keep you keep saying that whatever you do is, has been an accident however if I may um I don't think what you've done has been by accident I just think what you've done is what is instinctively right for you mm. and you know you, you obviously listen you're very aware of what's going on in society you're aware of what's going on around the world generally but there is something inside you that is uh, just by design, by who you are, that you just know what to do that's right, that makes you feel good. And you know that that impact will be very positive on those that you work with, you support. So I wouldn't call it an accident at all. I just think that that's just who you are. And I think that's, you know, the more people out there who create businesses that well, they may think it's an accident that what they do, but it's just naturally your authentic self. And I just think that's wonderful. Um, and it's, you know, it's just been, I mean, to you, if, if I was to ask the question, what does ethical business mean to you? How would you describe that? So our very first strapline was just do the right thing. Just do the right thing, even if no one is looking, that. even if, <laughs> so I, I'm a person of faith. So for me, it's like, mm. well, what would God be happy with at the end of yep. today? Yep. So I think it's, it's as simple as that. What, what would I want done to me? okay, I'm going to go and do that for someone else. And so that's 
in the quality of cleaning that we deliver. It's in the way that we treat each other as colleagues. Do we get it right every day? No, I've got a very angry colleague with me right now. But, you know, again, it's about eating humble pie, saying sorry and fixing it for the next time. Do you know, I, I actually found some of the marketing material that we that we created when we first started the business and our strap line was do the right thing. Yeah. Wasn't oh. it? That's, and it's just about, you know, just do the right thing. And, yeah. you know, sometimes things won't go 100% in the right direction. But, you know, at least you've tried and yes. you've, you've just your your first your default is I just want to do what's right. And if yes. I do what's right, everything else will follow. So I think that's really wonderful. I mean, it's been an absolute joy to meet you. And please, please move up to the north. <laughs> open, you know, keep growing, keep doing what you're doing. Don't go off to the Caribbean or wherever. Don't go off too long. You know, keep doing oh, what you're doing. don't wish that over and, me. Yes. Oh, and, you know, and uh, enjoy your two-week holiday. But it'd be lovely to keep Thank in touch you. with you and to hear your journey and um it's just been a pleasure to chat with you and i wish you great success happiness and health in 2023 antoinette to you and your colleagues thank you so much wonderful talking to you guys too and seeing some of the many parallels we've gone through you never know we might be in touch at some point um so that's it for today and thank you to everyone it's been a great start to 2023 and i very much look forward to introducing more ethical business leaders in the future You've been listening to the Ethical Business Podcast. We're back next month. And if you'd like to be a guest or would like to hear more about what we do, you can find us on wearemarmion.com. 